I am excited to continue our series uh, this morning in the book of Acts. I'd like to begin with reading an article that I posted on our Facebook group, our church Facebook group this week, and I thought it was fitting to share this here in light of the text that we're going to look at. But in Gonzo, China, which by the way, we have a young lady here, Kathleen from Gonzo, China, which I did not know that. I was like, man, I better pronounce this correct this morning. So she helped me out. In Gonzo, China, China's crackdown on Christianity escalated March 20th when the government of the fifth largest city began issuing rewards to those who report illegal religious activities, including house church meetings. The Bureau of Ethic and Religious Affairs in Gonzo said it would reward prizes of 3,000, 5,000 yuan. Uh, that's $450, $750, and $1,500 to Chinese citizens who spot and turn in their neighbors to government officials, according to the Asian News. The size of the prize will depend on the scale of the illegal activity. All churches in China are required to register with the government. Some churches, though, uh, face severe restrictions in how they worship and practice their faith. Because of this, millions of Chinese Christians worship underground. Quote, the authorities could not have picked a better time just before Easter to introduce these measures, a priest told Asia News. At this time, we often meditate on the passion of Jesus and Judas's treachery for 30 pieces of silver. The Gonzo government wants to turn people into many Judases. Gonzo, with 11 million people, is the fifth largest city in China and the capital of the province of Guangdong. Thank you. Last year, Gonzo authorities shut down the 5,000 member Ruguli. But members still meet in homes, Asia News reported. And it goes on. I want to open up with this this morning because this is, this is something that has happened throughout history. From the beginning of the church, the church has faced opposition and persecution throughout the world. So it's nothing new, but it's also something that's continuing to go on all over the world. And this is just one of the places in China where Christians are experiencing difficulty in opposition for worshiping God, for being devoted to the one true God, to, to Jesus Christ, the one Lord and Savior. Uh, there's opposition. So I, I'd like to, at the end of this time, I'd like to do what we did a few weeks ago, and I'd like to pray for the persecuted church and specifically target Christians in China. And I'm going to open up the mic at the end and, and, and we'll, uh, we'll target them in prayer. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, we got a little story here of Peter experiencing some opposition. Starting in verse 1, Acts 12 verse 1 says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in the prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people so that Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Amen. So here's the big idea this morning is where we're going is 
political powers often use in opposition against the church. But God's kingdom continued to advance through the prayers of the saints. Political power was often used to persecute the church, but God's kingdom continued to advance through the prayers of the saints. This was a different Herod than Herod Antipas. This was a different Herod than Herod the Great, who was uh, around the time of Jesus's birth. This was Herod. This was a political move on his behalf to shut down the church, to hinder the church from continuing to preach the gospel. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. And he saw, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to go after Peter. He wanted to get Peter as well. He was a people pleaser. He wanted to get political favor. He wanted to get the, the praise of people. And he wanted to oppose the church and shut down the church. And this is nothing new. This has happened throughout history where the enemies of God come against God's people, try to shut down the preaching of the gospel. Peter, this is the third time Peter experiences some of this opposition. In Acts 4 and Acts 5, Peter uh, was beaten. He was told not to talk about Jesus. And then he went away rejoicing. He got released from prison. And, and this time, it wasn't religious leaders that were trying to shut Peter down. It was King Herod. It was a, a governmental leader, a, a, a Jewish leader who wanted to get favor from the Jews by doing this. So he had James killed. Imagine if one of... Just a, a pastor in our church was killed. Imagine how the church would have felt. Okay, One, so this was James, uh, the brother of uh, John, who was killed with the sword, and now Peter's in prison. And the church is is probably thinking, "What are they going to do with Peter? Are they going to kill him too?" I wonder what Peter's thinking in that moment. Are they going to kill him too? They've they've killed James. They mean business. Uh, are they going to are they going to take him out? And so what they did was they, they gathered together and prayed. They were in a helpless position. Notice what they didn't do. They didn't take up swords and they didn't revolt and they didn't buck against the government and say, let's go get them. That wouldn't have been a wise idea because it would have, it would have been harm to them. And, and that's not the way of Christ that Jesus, when he was arrested and, and brought to the cross, he didn't fight back. He didn't fight back because his kingdom was not of this world. And so Luke is portraying for us what the kingdom of God looks like throughout the book of Acts and how the kingdom of God expands and the word of God continues to spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus said in, in Acts 1-8 that the, the disciples would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That they would have power by the Holy Spirit to go and testify of Jesus, to testify of the gospel. But they would experience opposition. They would experience this persecution. Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a promise. It's something that we can expect. Jesus said if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Gospel advancement doesn't come by merely coasting. It comes through the prayers of the saints and it comes through the preaching of the gospel message. And Herod wanted to shut this down. And it wasn't so much that it doesn't say Luke doesn't say that that Herod necessarily hated the gospel or hated the church. 
He, it was a political motive. It was a political move on his behalf. It was pleasing to the Jews. He wanted to be in favor with the people that he was in charge of. So he makes this political move. But the church responds in prayer, earnest prayer. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. What is your first resort when, when you're put under the fire? When you're put under pressure? When you're facing opposition? Do you look to worldly means for deliverance? Or do you look to God in prayer? That's what the church had already been doing. They were prayerful people. They had already experienced threats. They had already experienced persecution. They prayed this in, in Acts 4. They were threatened not to preach in Jesus' name. And in Acts 4, they lifted up their voice. When they heard, they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And this is what they pray. They said, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed in the place, they were gathered together and the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Here's a prayer. Here's a sample prayer of the church when they faced opposition. When they were told not to preach about Jesus, they prayed to God who was sovereign. They believed that God was in charge, that, that he was the sovereign Lord and that he has the ultimate say. So in this case, he's sovereign over Herod. He's sovereign over the kings of the earth. And they quote from Psalm 2, where in Psalm 2, he says this. He says, why did the, the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered against together uh, the Lord and his anointed. When you oppose Jesus, you will lose. And when you're with Jesus, you will win. Luke teaches us that. When you come against Jesus and his kingdom, you're going to lose. Herod was, was coming against the church, coming against Jesus. Now they did kill James. And it seemed like they were about to kill Peter. And God in his sovereignty allowed James to be taken home. All right. But for him, that was a gain. According to Paul, to, to die is gain, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Remember in Matthew, Jesus, or John and James's mother wanted them to sit next to Jesus. And, and they didn't really understand what, what comes with that. Jesus asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? That there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some suffering that comes along with, with that reward. And, and James was able to enter into that. 
James experienced, he was the second martyr of the, the Christian church. We had Stephen who was killed in chapter 7. Uh, and then they killed James, one of the 12 disciples, one of the sons of Zebedee. This, this, these were, this was one of Jesus' close guys. And he was killed. But Peter, they were praying for Peter. And actually, you guys, some, many of y'all know the story already. Uh, before we get there, let me just say this. Paul exhorts the church to pray with all prayers and supplications, intercessions, thanksgiving for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead, lead a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul exhorts the church, exhorts Timothy, that prayer should be made for those who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, dignified, godly lives. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So one of the reasons we should pray for leaders, kings, those who have power and authority is so that the gospel would continue to advance. So that the kingdom of God would continue to come so that people would be saved and people would come to know the knowledge of the truth and experience salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. The, the, the church here was praying for Peter. I wonder what some of those prayers sounded like. I wonder if some of those, those saints were praying, Lord, give Peter peace before he dies. Or Lord, you can save him. Deliver him. Or, or Lord, give Peter boldness to be a witness before the, the soldiers there. Give Peter a platform uh, to testify of the gospel. May, may some of those soldiers get saved. I wonder what those prayers sounded like. They were praying earnestly for him. They stepped up the prayer when the heat was on. Let's continue the story. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and, and centuries before the door was before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the, by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for him on its own accord. This this was before automatic doors. Okay. I guess you could say this was the very first automatic door. Okay. It opens up for him. This is a miraculous divine intervention that was happening here. So the door opened on its own accord. And they went out. And they went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself... So he was probably kind of groggy, probably half asleep. He, you know, he didn't really completely understand what was going on there, but he just followed the instructions. Uh, and when he came to himself, verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who uh, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together, they were praying. 
And when he knocked at the door of the of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter's standing at the gate, y'all. Peter's here. I would have been like, well, open the door. Let him in. Come on. So she, she gets so excited. They said to her, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. But she kept on insisting it was so. And they kept saying, it is an angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning with with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. When the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers of what became of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, he did not find him. He examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. And they went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. This is an awesome story. There's some humor in it. Peter shows up. They're, they're not letting him in. They don't believe her. They're like, maybe it's an angel. Maybe they killed him. This could be what was going on. Maybe they killed him and it's his, it's an angel or, you know, his ghost or whatever. You know, maybe they think she's out of her mind. So they're praying. I'm wondering what, what they're praying because of this, because they don't believe her. Are they praying, Lord, please deliver Peter? And then all of a sudden God answers prayer and they're like, you're crazy. Like the answer to the prayer is here already. Or maybe they were praying, Lord, just give him peace before they cut his head off. You know, they did this with James. Right. Nevertheless, God shows up. God shows his miraculous power through the prayers of the saints. Okay, Peter was rescued. Luke wants us to see that this was a divine intervention. Herod was flexing his political power and had James killed and it pleased the Jews. Now he was going to do so with Peter or it seemed like he was. He had about 16 soldiers there guarding Peter. Herod wanted to make sure that Peter did not get out, that he was stuck there, that he was, that he would stay there. And God miraculously intervened. Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher, says this. He says that the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. The saints prayed, they prayed, and God, in response to the prayers of his people, displayed his power miraculously. Now, he could have easily done this with James, but in his sovereign will, he didn't, he didn't do that. There are times when Christians will be killed, like, like Stephen. And it's happening today when, when there will, there will be martyrs, people who are martyred for the faith because they are devoted believers of Jesus Christ and they'll be killed. And then there are times when God will miraculously show up and deliver his people from their enemies through the prayers of his people. I've heard many missionary stories of God doing this kind of thing. When, when people were on, Christians were on the front line, when Christians were in the fire, Christians were experiencing opposition and it seemed hopeless and they seemed helpless. When you're in a helpless place of vulnerability, let prayer be your first line of defense. Pray, 
That's what the church did. And God showed his power when the church prayed. Amen. We would be a much joyful, much more joyful people if we were more prayerful. Because we would see more prayers answered and we would, our Christian life would not suffer from boredom. If your Christian life suffers from boredom, prayer is one of the, the, the answers, uh, solutions to, to boredom in the Christian life. Pray for big things, for God to do great things because He's a great God and with Him nothing is impossible. And we will have great joy in Him answering our prayers and He will get the glory for doing so. Jesus said in John 16, 24, he said, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. It's for the sake of our joy that God invites us in to pray, to be a people of prayer. And when we do so, he shows up in power. He intervenes. I was reminded of this this week, just thinking about community transformation. There was an intersection that I used to drive by every morning on my way to work. Uh, off of Greenville and Lover's Lane. And it was a real shady area with just bars, topless bars, and just, just a lot of darkness that went on there. And I would drive by on my way to work. I would pray, God, shut this place down. Like, God, take away this place. And I was so encouraged. Years later, God answered that prayer. And of course, there were many other factors involved in that. But I was praying that, believing God to like shut this place down. And they did. They tore the entire place down and they built a central market and a Krispy Kreme donut. And I was so, so happy they did. And I'm not saying it's just because of my prayer, but I got to, I got to join in and be a part of that. I, I just wonder what God's going to do with this little community that we've been planted in, that we've been sowing seeds in, that we've been praying over. Uh, this area right here, um, the, the strip area over here off the Texaco, the apartments, they are, they were considered a risk zone area in the city of Dallas. And the city of Dallas is trying to give some attention to it. There, there's, there's desire that things would be transformed and changed. And then the, the owners of those places are given an ultimatum to clean things up or they're going to lose their property. So I was recently told this by one of our, our neighbors close by. And I just, I, I can just imagine through our prayers, and the prayers that have been prayed over this neighborhood before us, what God is going to do in this area. My heart longs for this area where there is much crime going on, just two blocks away, murders going on uh, consistently, and, and robberies, and all drug deals, and all kinds of things going on just two blocks from here. And my heart breaks for this area, and I would love to see God have some divine intervention here. And when he does... When we see transformation and we see this area changed for the better, it's going to be joy to us. We're going to rejoice in God and remember all the work, all the labor that we've done, invested in this community, trying to make a difference here. God answers prayer. Let's continue the story here because at the beginning of the story, we see Herod triumphing. We see him shutting down the spread of the gospel, but God won't let it happen. Through the prayers of the saints, 
God delivers Peter. And now let's look at what happened. We see God's power displayed and God sending an angel to rescue Peter from prison. Now we see God's power displayed in judgment upon King Herod, starting in verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. And they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon a throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Here's God's power on display coming against the enemies of the church. So Josephus has an account of this story too of Herod dying and him when he gave this speech Josephus says that he had this outfit on that was made of silver and so he had this this shiny outfit and so with during the day with the sun shining upon his royal silver outfit it would have reflected onto the crowd brightly so it was probably he probably felt you know, powerful in that moment as he's giving this speech, trying full of pride, full of ego. He loved the praises of people. Remember, he wanted he he had James killed and was going to kill Peter because it pleased the people. And so here he is and in, in, in at the pinnacle, <coughs> excuse me, at the pinnacle of his pride, exalting himself in this speech and it says an angel of the Lord struck him down. Notice this theological statement. By the way, as I've said it before, Luke is a theologian. He doesn't just record history. He does give some theology within the book of Acts as well. And this is a theological statement. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God. And he breathed his last and he was eaten by worms. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Uh, this was Dr. Luke. So he had a medical background too. And so he, he describes this, this thing that happened to him. Uh, notice that Luke also gives a contrast between Herod and the opposition and God's agenda continuing to advance in verse 24. The word of the Lord increased and multiplied. When you come against Jesus and his kingdom, you lose. John Piper says that. He has a great quote on this. When you come, when you're with Jesus, you win. When you come against him and his kingdom, you lose. Okay? The word of the Lord continued to increase. Luke has given many summary statements like this throughout the book of Acts. And this is just another one of those summary statements. In light of the opposition, in light of what was going on, the word of God continued to spread. The word of God could not be chained. Paul said, Paul was thrown in prison, but the word of God can't be stopped and chained. God's kingdom agenda continues to advance regardless of what kind of political tyrant, what, what, regardless of what kind of evil leaders are trying to suppress and stop the work of God. God's 
kingdom continues to advance through the prayers of his people. John Stott says this about this little section here in his commentary on the book of Acts. He says, the chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. Such is the power of God to overthrow hostile human plans, to establish his own in in their place. Tyrants may be permitted for a time to boast and bluster, oppressing the church and hindering the spread of the gospel, but they will not last. In the end, their empire will be broken, their pride abases. This is also reminds me of Pharaoh in the Old Testament who tried to continue to hold God's people in oppression. But God said, let them go. And God showed his power, displayed his power. This also reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel who was also full of pride and exalted himself. And God humbled him. We see that God humbles the proud in this text. And we see that God lifts up the humble, the church, who humbled themselves in prayer. God answered and lifted them up and empowered them to continue to keep speaking the word. Nebuchadnezzar said this in Daniel 4.34, I bless the Most High and praise and honor Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Remember in in Acts chapter 9, there was Saul breathing threats against the church. He was having the church thrown in the prison and, and, and he was there when Stephen was killed. He was coming against the church and at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, there was this havoc that he was, Saul was, was, was reaping, uh, uh, bringing on the church. And by the end of Acts chapter 9, Jesus had showed up in his life, knocked him off of his animal and rescued him. And he's preaching the gospel, the very word, the very message he was trying to stop from spreading. God took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it around for good. Amen. So here's a couple of application points here. Know that opposition will come as you seek to spread the gospel message. If you're, if you are intentionally trying to share the gospel with neighbors, coworkers, friends, family, you're going to experience some pushback. If you're not doing that, you, you probably won't experience much pushback as a Christian, right? But once you start trying to witness and testify of the good news of Jesus and tell others about Jesus and you're really living for Jesus, in a way that's creating some wakes, some splashes, uh, there's going to be pushback. You're going to be persecuted for righteousness sake, for the name of Jesus. But let prayer be your first resort of defense. Turn to God in prayer. Pray for those. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Follow the way of Jesus. In doing so, and trust that God will leverage his power on your behalf for the sake of the gospel. God's going to intervene in the lives of his people. Psalm 34 says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. 
God sends his angels, gives his angels charge over us, and he delivers us. And for James, though he died, he he experienced the ultimate deliverance in being in the presence of Jesus Christ where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Amen? And so what I'd like to do in closing is I'd like to pray for the persecuted church in China. Um, I'd like to respond with a song, and then I want to invite one or two, three people up um, to come and, and join us, uh, lead us in prayer for those who are being persecuted in China. we got a few um, Asian folks here that, that I'd love to, to come up and love for you to come up and, and be a part of that and praying for, for them. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done there in Gonzo, China, here on earth as it is in heaven. May we hear just reports of just your movement, of your kingdom spreading, of the word of God continuing the spread, running swiftly and being glorified throughout China. And help us to be bold witnesses here to take advantage of the freedoms and the liberty that we have here to share the message, to share the good news with others and not be ashamed of it. Forgive us, Lord, where we have been ashamed of the gospel, embarrassed of you, Lord Jesus. May we not be embarrassed or ashamed of you or your words. May we boldly proclaim them even when there's opposition. In Jesus' name we pray.